0: Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? My guest today is my old friend, Eric Hutcherson, who is Chief Human Resources Officer for the National Basketball Association. How did Eric and the NBA get so ahead of the curve in pandemic response mode? And how has Eric taught people over the years to be indispensable? I am thrilled to have as a guest, Eric Hutcherson. Now, full disclosure, Eric and I go way back. And at one time, uh, Eric did programs for Rainmaker Thinking, um, and uh, uh, he's just an extraordinary human being. Uh, When I talk about these indispensable go-to people, people who are values-driven, people who live their integrity, people who get things done, people whom others want to be powerful because of how they use their power, Um, I'm thinking about people like Eric. And um, let me read his introduction so that I get it right. Eric Hutcherson is Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer of the National Basketball Association. Um, He leads uh, the NBA's Human Resources Department. He manages a team that drives the NBA's global workforce strategy, built on a commitment to attracting, retaining, developing, and engaging top talent for the NBA, WNBA, NBA G League and NBA 2K League. He partners with the league's senior leadership to enable, empower, and develop employees in 13 U.S. and international offices guided by the league's strategic direction. Prior to joining the NBA in July 2014, Eric was Managing Director and Chief Human Resources Officer for the U.S. and Canada Division of Marsh before that, he held several leadership positions at Mercer. Outside the MBA, uh, Hutcherson is a motivational speaker and created a career development training program, "Say Yes to Success." Uh, welcome, Eric Hutcherson. What an honor and a privilege, and how wonderful uh, to see you! Um,
1: it is such a pleasure to be here. First of all, thank you for the for reading the super long bio, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns in there. And I think that uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you about some of those stops and some of the learnings that came from those stops. But I'll circle back to the initial point that you made. I can't think of how many 20s of years it's been, but uh, it's pretty it's pretty incredible that you and I are back here on, on Indispensables and having a chance to talk about some of this stuff. Because I remember in the early days Um, you and I doing some work together with Rainmaker Thinking, doing some of the Generation X work. And I'm really happy to see you continue to do your work because it's really impactful. And I'm just honored to be even here and to see your face again to be part of this conversation.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you were there at the beginning. Uh, I talk about Rainmaker Thinking. We've been in business for 27 years. You were there at the beginning.
1: That's right, that's right. Way, way back.
0: And, yeah. uh, uh, and you uh, uh, have always had this incredible true north, yeah. this sense of integrity and values. Can you, uh, and, and one of the themes that I try to explore in, in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, is how important it is to be values driven and to be guided yeah. by your integrity. Can you, can you talk about that?
1: Sure. Um, you know, one of the principal points that I try to really reinforce to our leaders and to leaders around the world, is this new this notion of a new value proposition? And if historically, um, you know, people came and left organizations based on the prestige of the company or the name of the company or the footprint or how big the job was or any of those things, more and more now, um, generations of today come and go from organizations based on the values of the company. And the leader is usually the emblem of those values. And it's certainly the reinforcement. Of those values so to the degree that you sit in any organization as an indispensable leader one of the things that you have to do is be very clear about what your value set is and the decisions have to follow that value set very closely because people are watching to see what you do and what you don't do what you say and what you don't say what you write about and what you don't write about and so if you think about today's world right now think about all the different things that are happening we're at the confluence of a financial crisis, a health crisis, and a racial crisis. And people are looking to their employer and they're looking to their leader to say, what is north? To say, what do we believe in when it comes to these subjects? To say, what do we stand for as it relates to these subjects? And some leaders struggle with having a point of view that they can stand behind. And quite frankly, those leaders that do step out and have those points of view oftentimes they become an attraction mechanism for top talent.
0: Yeah, and you know, human talent is. Um, I think because of your role, I mean, you're the the chief human resources officer of the NBA, right? So when people talk about, well, how do you get to be in the NBA? Well, you know, you got to have a good attitude, and well, you got to be great at basketball, right? So you know, when people say, well, well, what makes somebody indispensable? Well, of course, you got to be great at your job, and of course, you're looking at this very narrow uh, slice of human beings who are the best basketball players in the world. Mm -hmm. And then when they bring that to the table, uh, you know, that's a pretty good start anyway. How how do you drive values through an organization that is so driven by talent?
1: Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bifurcate for a second to say we look at our players as an example of how we look at ourselves, because remember, the NBA is a relatively large corporate organization. We're 1,500 employees globally. We operate a business. We're a media company. We're an event company. We do a number of different activities. And of course, the product and the the content that we offer is the game. Um, But when you look at our players and how elite they are at what they do, We draft off of that to understand better how we can run our organization. And I'll give you an example. We have a thing called our calling. And our calling is essentially our mission, right? But our calling is nine words, compete with intensity, lead with integrity, and inspire play. Wow, that's great. Now, compete with intensity. Be the best that you can be at what you do, whatever you do, to make today better than it was yesterday. So if you think about that, right? Think about one of our best players, LeBron James. He scores 25 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. What does he do? He goes right back in the gym to try to figure out how can I make those 15 rebounds, 16, and how can I make those 10 assists, 12? He doesn't stand back and go, wow, that was a really good game I played. What he does is he says, how can I be even better? And he's not competing with his teammates to be better than his teammates. He's competing with himself. And his own capabilities to be better than he was the day before so if you translate that into the corporate organization just think about if every company didn't measure themselves against the qualities of their teammate or against how much money they make or how much money they make relative to somebody else but instead said i want to be better today because yesterday i was awesome and today i'm going to be even awesomer and how how would that look And if the entire organization were striving to be better than yesterday, how good would that organization be? Lead with integrity. You know, leaders to the point around values, there's no continuum of integrity. You either have it or you don't. You either lead with it or you don't. And you either show it or you don't. It's not good integrity day Tuesday and bad integrity day Thursday. Like, either you have it or you don't have it. And leaders should be leading with their integrity first. And then finally, inspire play. We are a basketball league, and we want to keep young people fit, and we want to keep people around the world fit, and we want people to have fun. And it's true that if you're bouncing a basketball, you're better than average chance you'll be a basketball fan at some point. But the way that I translate Inspire Play is I want to create an environment at the NBA where it's joyful. And I think, uh, Bruce, you you do very much the same. You connect with people in a way, and you give off a sense of joy in what you do. Everyone is better at what they do when they're joyful at it. Not just like it, maybe not even love it, but literally joyful, gleeful. I get up every day and I say, I can't wait to get there because I know that there's a big challenge around the corner and I'm equipped and ready to go tackle it. So if you can combine those nine words into those three points of view, that I want to be better than I was yesterday, I'm going to leave with my integrity and I'm going to approach life in a joyful way. Just imagine how incredible our organizations would be. And just imagine how some of these things that are happening in society today might get solved in a different way.
0: Yeah, that is, uh, I've got goosebumps. Now, if, if I'm correct, I think you were the first in um, your industry to postpone the season. Uh, I take it that was an abundance of caution, but it seems to me that that maybe was part of leading with integrity.
1: Yeah, you know, um there are many times where decisions need to be made and it's not always a perfectly right or wrong decision, but but when you're looking and being guided by your values, you make the decision that you think most closely aligns with your values. And you're right, an abundance of caution, health and safety first, setting an example to the broader community that, you know, now is a time to think health and safety and not think about other things. You know, we've done in the past had to make some very difficult decisions about values driven uh, issues whether it's you know what we've done in North Carolina for the All-Star game and what we have done uh, uh, in China uh, in, in in other circumstances where we had to you know stand on our values as well and and in this respect you know health and safety and the, and the good of and the good of the public was the right thing to do and as we prepare to hopefully come back um, we're thinking health and safety and an abundance of caution on the way back as well. And and, and, and you know, you may have mentioned before that our players are incredible athletes and they're such a, they, they provide hope and, and, and dreams for a number of people and inspiration for a number of people around the world. You know, it's times like these where we're dealing with, you know, racial injustice and social inequality and economic inequality and, and systemic racism and, quite frankly, unfortunately, the murder of, of, of people uh, of color, and in particular black people, our players are so much more than just players. And you can see it now where they're using their platform and their voice and their influence to really inspire systemic change. And so back to the point of values, we have values that, that, that extend beyond the floor. Um, and our players are so much more than just basketball players that both our NBA, WNBA G League and 2K players, they use their platform in order to advance the social conversation. They use their platform in order to advance um, the movement in bringing worlds together. And quite frankly, I love the fact that sports makes the world so small because even when there's strife and difference and confrontational points, the bridge of basketball seems to bring people to a common place.
0: You know, um, in. You were kind enough to read my book and, um, uh, and and blurb it. And so, you know, when I talk about real influence, I'm yeah. talking about being one of those people whom others root for, who uh, others want to build up. In your experience, um, can you describe sort of the long game of influence?
1: You know, there's a reason why people use the term, I'm playing chess, not checkers. And... Chess is a strategic long game and chess, to your point, will sacrifice certain wins early on to create openings for bigger wins later down the line. And if you think about that and you translate it into the context of being, you know, a true influencer, I think sometimes your influence is carried greatest in an organization when there's no benefit to you at all. I think about it in the context of what I call the three, th- the three layers of leadership. There's leading from the front, there's the leader as coach, and there's the guiding hand, right? So right. go back to our old days, leading from the front. There are times where the most important thing is to be the rah-rah leader that's out in front saying, this is north, follow me. I have the answer. Everybody follow me. And most leaders lean into that leadership style and they get really good at it. Leader as coach is what you taught me 25 years ago. Hey, come here. (laughs) Sit. side. I remember our prep walks before we would go do a session, right? right? Sit side by side with me. Let me model for you. Okay. Now you do it. Okay. Let's tweak this. Let's make this better. Let's get this different here. You know what? That doesn't quite sound right. I can tell you didn't prepare enough right here. Let's work a little bit more on that. Let's get your stories down. Right? So that leader is coach where you're side by side, you come down to my level, we're not at a hierarchical position at all and I get nothing from this other than to know that you're gonna be successful when this is over. And then there's the guiding hand, the leader that's in the background that nobody even knows is there, that is moving obstacles out of the way, creating doors to open. You don't know why that door opened, it just did. You don't know who pushed your shoulder, they just did. And suddenly now you're inside Doing things that you otherwise wouldn't be doing or getting opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't be getting. And guess what? My joy as a leader comes in knowing that you were successful because I get nothing personally from it. The long game that I'm playing is at some point I'm going to look out and think about how they evaluate coaches today. The coaching tree. How many amazing coaches came from the origination of that other coach? And that's the value of the strength of that coach that Bill Belichick and and Greg Popovich and, and, and Bill Walsh and you know Bill Parcells and those great coaches are known for their coaching tree. Why? Lenny Wilkins. They're known for their coaching tree because the value that they brought was that they made others better and let others expand.
0: Yeah, and when you, know, when you build someone up, uh, that person wants to build you up. You have an investment in each other Tell me about um, decision making in, in your, uh, on your team and for yourself. And, you know, you're at a point now where people who report to you have people who report to them, have people who report to them, right? You're the bosses, 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 boss. Yeah. How do you uh, teach decision making and drive collaboration down your chain of command and set people up so that they can work things out at their level yeah. What's your approach to that?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you would ask that, and, and 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 I'm really I'm 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 pleased to see how connected we still are, right? <laughs> so, I I have a concept uh, in say us yes to success called exponential impact, and it's the notion that no leader can edict their way all the way through an organization. Because to your point, when you get to be two, three, four levels removed and you're the manager of managers of managers of managers, you can't really influence the outcomes four or five layers down. What you can do is influence the outcomes of those that directly follow you. And bear in mind and accept the fact that someone follows each of those people, and someone follows them and them and so on and so on. And to some degree, if you think about the military chain of command that we used to talk through, right, I look to my first and my first gives me guidance and gives me confirmation of what is true. And so when something comes from six layers up and they say, this is what we're going to do. So let's say, you know, the, 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 the principal leader that's, that's guiding people down. What then has to happen is someone's got to validate that. And I look to my first to validate that. And then they look to theirs to validate and they look to theirs to validate. So even when the CEO of a company says, this is what we're going to do, five layers down, somebody goes, hey, Bruce, is that true? Right. And if Bruce says, yeah, it's true, then we're going. And if Bruce says, you know, I'm kind of skeptical. I'm not really sure. I don't really align with that. Well, guess what? That whole section of the organization is not really bought in. And when you get that connectivity that you have what I call organizational inertia, we start to move because the whole system is moving in in concert with each other. But it's really that direct leader that you are following and so on and so on all the way up the chain. So really, to your point around decision making, decision making has to be engaged decision making. Decision making can't be compliance. It's got to be commitment. And so I talk about the difference between compliance and commitment, because at some point, there's a fulcrum where you hit and the person says, so what's my perception of this decision? What's my perception of this change? What's my perception of this leader's point of view? And if I agree with it, then I'll probably move towards commitment. I'll think about what opportunity it creates. I'll think about how I can be creative within it. I'll think about how I can grow because of it. And then I'll give my commitment and give you 110% because I'm aligned. Get to that same decision point. If I'm skeptical and don't believe, or if my leader doesn't believe, then I'll question it. I'll push back and try not to do it. I'll finally accept that I'm forced to do it because you're the boss and I'm not. And then all of a sudden, I'll give you compliance. I'll do exactly what you ask of me. Nothing more, nothing less. You won't get my engagement. You'll get my activity. And so you can't mandate commitment. You have to earn commitment by getting engagement.
0: Yeah, and that, that's how you get people going the extra mile. That's how you Absolutely. get- Absolutely. Let me ask you, what, what's your approach when, when things go wrong? Especially further down the chain of command, uh, people often, you know, they'll point fingers, they blame, but, but if you drive the right kind of culture, uh, when things go wrong, uh, it can be an opportunity to make things
1: better. You know, I, I think first and foremost, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about creating an environment where mistakes are understood, mistakes are expected, and improvements are expected as well. An organization without risk is an organization that doesn't move. Um, And so what calculated risks we take and how we evaluate those risks and how we quickly pivot from mistakes, I think is the way to improve on decision making and to get engagement through making mistakes. You know, some, some leaders will say fail fast, right? Make whatever decision you make, evaluate it quickly, determine if it's working or not, and accept the fact that it's not working. I used to say benefit of the doubt is not your friend. The more often that you are, ah, well, it's going to be okay, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe down the line it'll get a little better. If you're, if you're the leader like you are, you know when a decision wasn't a good one, and you know what parts of a decision worked and what parts of a decision didn't, and therefore your willingness to put ego aside and say, you know what, this didn't work so well, let's pivot and change it, To me, that is the environment that you're creating. That's where you get the engagement from the rest of your team to feel comfortable. Because by the way, the flip side of the coin of mistakes are innovations. Innovations don't come because what I tried worked. Innovations come because what I tried didn't work. And then I innovated further and then that didn't work. And then I tried a little different and then that didn't work. And then before you know it, I had an iPhone.
0: So it's fine tuning, fine tuning, fine tuning.
1: And learning and adding.
0: When you're giving people advice in your Say Yes to Success seminars, um, w- w- what are your main uh, points of advice?
1: Yeah, so, um, so Say Yes to Success is, 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 uh, is born out of a, a series of, of experiences and 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 opportunities that go all the way back to my days at the Boston Celtics when I first started my career and you know it's rooted in a thing called the 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 pride principle positive mental attitude respect intelligent choices dreams and goals and execution and those five principles each one individually stand on their own if you were at work and you were known as somebody with a great attitude that's good if you were known as somebody who was respected that's good If you're known as someone who has good judgment and makes intelligent choices, that's good. If you're known as somebody who has really strong dreams and goals and understand where you're going, that's really good. And if you're known as somebody who executes, that's also really good. Each one of those things stand on their own. When you take those five principles and bring them together, you have this incredible thing called pride. And, and what's most impressive about the pride principle is when you bring those five things together and you embody them every day, you're someone that people want to follow to your point around indispensable leadership. When you have those five things all working in concert, you're someone that people want to follow. In addition to that, though, you have to take into account that there is this thing called first impressions. So as you're going through your career, People are still assessing who you are and what you are. And so I've introduced this thing called the rule of 30. And the rule of 30 is fairly straightforward. People assess you from three distinct points, 30 feet away, 30 inches away, in the first 30 words out of your mouth. So when you go into an interaction and you've heard something about someone before, or you presuppose someone something about someone, or you've got your own personal stereotypes from your own personal experience, when I'm 30 feet away, I'm assessing, is this a danger zone, or is this something that's gonna be pleasant? And I'm gonna react accordingly and pre- prepare myself for whatever I assume the outcome's gonna be. And when I'm 30 inches away, I'm either validating all of those biases or putting them down. And quite frankly, I'm also evaluating things about you personally and about me personally, because we're within each other's personal space at that. And then the first 30 words, I am evaluating whether or not my assumptions of you are accurate. And if you sound the way I expected you to sound, or if you say the things I expected you to say, or quite frankly, if you position yourself in a way that was different than I expected, it could either validate or change my personal impression of you simply from those first 30 words. And by the way, we all do it. So it's not like I do it because I'm black and you don't do it because you're white or vice versa. Every single person does the rule of 30 in their own way. So as a result, You have to know that I'm doing that to you and I have to know that you're doing that to me because if we can put our biases to the side, we might actually find out that we've got a lot more in common than we ever knew. But typically we let that rule of 30 get in the way. So you've got to sharpen your rule of 30. How am I coming across? And what am I doing when I get up close? And what am I saying and how do I present myself? Because people are evaluating that at all times. And so one of the other concepts that I often will share, especially with young people, is you're always on an interview. Whether you're on the bus, whether you're on the train, whether you're walking down the street, you have no idea who that interaction is going to be. I could be bumping into Bruce Tolgan, world leading author. I could be bumping into Eric Hutcherson, head of HR for the NBA. I could be bumping into the CEO of some company I always wanted to go work for who was out for a run. So at any given time, you're on an interview and you have to approach it as if you're always on an interview. So when you take the rule of 30 and that concept of being on an interview and you put the two together, you're always ready for your next moment. So, so those are just some of the things that are in say us to success. It goes a lot further than that, but those are some of the high points. And so within that, if you think about an early or mid-career professional or somebody that's in a career change, what do you need to know about yourself? So I'll say to people, when is the last time you introduced yourself to you? And, and if you think about it, Bruce, like if, if you would read my bio, but could I give you my bio in a way that makes me say, who am I? What do I do? What makes me different from everybody else? And why should anybody care? If you think about your 30 second commercial, that's your 30 second commercial. So you know those first 30 words out of your mouth. When people are evaluating those first 30 words, typically it's going to be anecdotally, what's your 30 second commercial? Who am I? What do I do? What makes me different from everybody else? And why would anybody care?
0: Uh, and I think what I, what I love about the rule of thirty is your point that it's happening whether you intend it to or not, and it's happening that's right. in both directions, so that's right. Uh, so the reason it's a, a really useful point is it's really about awareness um, well that's that's a gem um, okay i got I have a closing question for you, which is sure. um, there's got to be a lot of people uh, who are earlier in their careers. Um, who look at a guy like you and think, how do I get to be him? Uh, what's your advice?
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I get asked this question quite often, and, 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 and oftentimes I'll answer it differently. So, so in this case, I'm going to answer it in two ways. First, the practical way, and then second, the inspirational way. The practical way, what I would say is be curious. Um, people advance in their careers because they're curious, because they want to know and they want to learn and they want to grow. And it's not about what I get back for. It's about learning and being better and being curious. Second, be committed. I've got this notion of zero to 100. And I'm at 100 whenever I'm in anything. And when I'm not in it, I'm at zero because I'm at 100 on something else. This idea that you go in and you're like, well, I'm going to give half of my time to this and half of my time to that and then a quarter of my time to this and a quarter of my time to that and I'm going to give 150%. That's not real life. Real life is, if I am going to achieve greatness, I'm going to give it everything I've got. And when I'm not on that path anymore, and I've decided that I'm on a different path, then I'm going to give that everything I've got. But this notion of zero and 100, to me, is very important, in particular for people that are early in their career, because they try to dabble into 20 different things and try to figure it out along the way, and they end up being moderately bad at everything. The, the last practical point I'll make on the advice is, um, in this stage in your career, it's experience, not money, that carries the day. And I got that advice from Dave Gavitt, who was the president of the Boston Celtics when I got there. He was the guy that started the Big East, and he was the guy that was the principal architect of USA Basketball way back in the day. And what he said to me was, it's experience, not money, that carries the day. And when you're early in your career, You should be evaluating what experiences I get, what exposure I have, what opportunities I get, what learnings I can have, what training I can get and who I get to be around. Because when you make decisions for $5,000, that's $48 a check. Like nobody cares about the $5,000. But if you make good decisions early in your career, when you're in your wealth building phase, those are $50,000 decisions, not $5,000 decisions. Now my final inspirational guidance would be this. I have a tattoo here on my side that says, I like who I am and I like what I see. The finish to that quote is, if I've got nobody else, at least I've got me. So I like who I am and I like what I see. If I've got nobody else, at least I got me. And the reason that I say that is because at some point you've got to believe in your own personal greatness. At some point you have to believe that I've got greatness in me and we all do, but not everybody deserves to actually have your greatness. And young people in particular often will give up on their own dreams and goals and give up on their own desire for greatness for a couple of bucks or for the right relationships or for the fact to have prestige or to have the opportunity to be around certain people. And my point is that you have your own greatness and you deserve to have that greatness come out and not everybody deserves to have it. So make sure they treat you right and make sure they care about you. And make sure they're good to you. So I say, answer yourself these four questions to decide if people deserve to have your greatness. Am I proud of the company or people that I work for? Am I proud of the people that I work with? Am I proud of the work that I get to do? And am I pleased with the value that I give and get? Am I proud to have the name of that company on my shirt? Because guess what? I'm going to spend more time with them than I am my family. So I better be proud of them. Am I proud of the people I work with? These people around me are going to be my people. So I better respect them. Am I proud of the work that I get to do? That goes back to that notion of giving something bigger than just the day to day. At some point, there's gotta be a higher order purpose for why you do what you do. And then am I pleased with the value that I give and get? Do these people really care about me or am I just somebody that's there to be dispensable? Because at the end of the day, if you really care about me, then I'll be indispensable.
0: I love it. Eric Hutcherson, a great American, a great friend, a true indispensable go-to person. Thank you for being a guest on The
1: Indispensables, Bruce, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I can't believe we got the chance to do this, but I'm really thankful
0: for it. Isn't it so cool? It's awesome. Next week, I'll be interviewing Ray Blanchett, who is CEO of TGI Fridays and a longtime veteran and legend of the restaurant industry. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at go That's at go You can learn more about go and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives. In my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong, and be indispensable at work.